Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and your home for the hottest sports show anywhere. It's a new era for sports talk in Saskatchewan. Welcome to the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. Hello, hello, hello. Sean Kleisinger back in the chair for Ballsy for the next, let's see, three days. Wrapping up our year in review shows, and then next week, brand new time on the Sports Cage. 3 to 6 p.m. from now on, starting next week. So very exciting news to start off the new year in 2023. Once again, I'm Zinger. Today's show is for spreads.ca. You can sign up using the code CKRM, and they'll match your first deposit of $25 to $250. Just uh, currently watching the United States of America take on Slovakia in the World Junior Hockey Championship in uh, Group B play. And right now, the states are up 2-1. to one. Canada will take on Germany tonight at uh, 5.30 local time here in Saskatchewan. Of course, Canada lost their uh, opening game of the tournament versus uh, Czechia. 5-2, uh, to two, I believe, was the final. Conor Bedard did score in the game. Didn't matter, though, because the Canadians lost. And I believe Canada is favored by, like, at least five goals tonight. So if you want to make a bet on spreads.ca tonight for uh, Canada to uh, come up big with a win, uh, it's probably a pretty safe bet. I don't think the Germans really belong in this tournament. Nothing against uh, hockey Germany. But uh, Canada should win this game tonight with ease. We have a great show lined up for you today. We're going to talk with... Canadian Football Hall of Famer Damon Allen to start the 5 o'clock hour. John Lip, Mike Anderson, Brian Peters, and also going to relive that Kenton Keith conversation. Had to cut it short last week due to timing reasons, so going to air that one as well. Uh, all of our guests, as always, appear on the Western Pizza Hotline. Dine-in, takeout, or delivery. Get it hot, get it fast from Western Pizza. So uh, today is another Where Are They Now Wednesday edition of our year-end review shows, by the way. And uh, every Wednesday throughout the year, Where Are They Now is brought to you by Floor Coverings International. Need new floors? Well, just let Floor Coverings International bring their mobile showroom to you. Visit their website for your free consultation. So big Where Are They Now Wednesday to uh, wrap up uh, this Wednesday. Hopefully, if you went back to work today, you got uh, you know to work okay. Very icy on those roads today, by the way. I heard uh, Andrew Daw- uh, Andrew Dawson say there was like sixty some crashes across Saskatchewan today. So uh, once again, take it easy on those roads. Be nice to your neighbors. Don't you know uh, cut in front of people. Just take it slow, especially especially if you're on the ring road. Ring road was a mighty slick today. So let's kick off this Where Are They Now Wednesday with former rider Bobby Hosea. He chatted with Michael Ball earlier this year. 
Now we check in with the players, coaches, movers, and shakers who help build Canada's league. It's Where Are They Now? Yes, this is the feature where we take a trip down memory lane with one of the greats that helped build this league that we love so much. And today, we're going to talk with former Ryder defensive back Bobby Hosea, who's known more for his time in the spotlight as an actor as opposed to his time on the football field as a CFL player. He played O.J. Simpson in the movie. And not O.J. Simpson, the Buffalo Bill. O.J. Simpson, the accused killer. As uh, we catch up with Bobby Hosea. You started in Montreal in 79, and then you came to Saskatchewan for a couple of years, and then just like that, Bobby, you were out of the league. Before we get to that, what are you doing now, Mr. Hosea? Well, I'm coaching down at San Bernardino Valley College, My actually my junior college alma mater. This is my fourth season coaching the safeties uh, down here. I also run tackle uh, safety and performance training camps through February uh, through August, and uh, I've been an actor for 40-plus years as well. So I do a bit of a lot of things nowadays, but the love of my life is football, and, and, and particularly teaching players how to tackle safer. Yeah, this game has changed, Bobby. Uh, very physical game all the way through, but we're learning different practices to tackle. How is Bobby Hosea's technique maybe different than others that we've seen out there? What does your technique offer? Well, we, we're the only evidence-based tackling technique on the planet which has proven to eliminate the very factors that lead to helmet-involved collisions by the defender when they try, attempt to make a tackle, whether that's we've identified, eliminated, and replaced the physical mechanisms, tackling terminology, drills, and techniques that lead to these uh, brain injury and neck and spinal cord injuries. It's in our instruction. For example, the first thing you're going to hear, you probably yelled since you were nine years old when you saw me miss a tackle. Back him up! <laughs> right? Right. Well, that term, believe it or not, as old as it is, is the very physical mechanism that causes your hips to go back and your head to go down. I, now, I, I identified that many, many years ago in 97 when my kids were, my son wanted to play, mm-hmm. and I was scared to death to allow him to play but without my uh, helping out. <laughs> so I ended up being the doggone head coach. I didn't want to be. But I wanted to look out for my kid, but then I ended up having, you know, 25 little boys and their parents feel the same way about them as I do about mine. So now I had 25. So I literally praise the Lord, teach me to teach them. I always tackle the way I teach, but now you're talking about breaking it down to where you can teach it step to step to step. And that's what I did in 97. And just gradually the kids got better immediately, really, to be honest, because what we do is we... What I recognize wrap them up means we call it hug your mama tackle. And that's when, so, Michael, if you have your knuckles and your elbows on the same level and you go to put your arms around someone, mm-hmm. wrap them up, physically your hips are going to go back and your head is going to go down. That's a physical mechanism that cannot be altered if you do it that way. And so that makes that physical mechanism of using your body in that way, you're going to end up like that in a 90-degree angle with your, with your uh, upper torso. Mm-hmm. Your head and your hips are going to be on the same uh, level. Yep. And you're going to expose your head, whether you put it to the side or not. You see football is fluid, backspin. Defenders are from left, right, front, back, all over. People are diving and falling. So when you put your head to the side, it's not science that it's safe. It's only conjecture that it's safe because many, many players have been impacted in the side of their head, in the top of their head, whether it be by the ball carrier or whether it be by the uh, defenders helping to assist on the tackle. They call that friendly fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I recognized just that act of wrapping causes that physical mechanism that exposes your head. So, so that, but if you do the opposite 
and you throw double uppercuts where your knuckles are up and your elbows are down and you rip, then that explodes your hips forward and that takes your head up and away. So that's a physical mechanism that is based on the words that I give. And the, so the words that I give rip, right? First you got a dip, which is step in an imaginary hole, have your, your knees bent, back foot just a little bit beyond your rear end, your front foot on the outside of your chin, and you're reaching back what I call your booger fingers for imaginary hand grenade pins. Mm-hmm. When you whip those hand grenade pins out, your hips are going to fly forward because you're trying to get your hips to the top of the numbers on the front of the jersey of the ball carrier. Yeah. And this is after you start eyes, belt, buckle, high, because you stepped into an imaginary hole. Interesting. Bob, Bobby, oh, they yeah. can... They, so they we've can, never had an injury yet, ever. 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 That's, it. That's interesting. If football coaches are listening to this, where can they follow you so they can find the link to maybe uh, get the visual of this? Well, right now, my, my site is down because I'm not down, but it's being reconstructed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be uh, uh, gtgeorgethomasscience.us. Hmm. Okay, cool. Okay, gtscience.us. U.S. Awesome. Uh, Bobby Hosea joining us here. Where are they now? Former Saskatchewan Rough Rider defensive back. He came up on our call-in show after the game. A rider, LJ McCray, former NFL defensive back with the 49ers uh, playing for the Riders, punched the Ottawa uh offensive lineman and he was kicked out of the game it takes me back to when I was nine years old October 4th 1981 Tiger Cats are here and uh, Bobby Jose in that game Dex Patterson Gord Patterson the Tiger Cat receiver what do you remember about that situation well first I just want to say to all the young listeners out there and football players yeah I lost control that at that moment so it was unsportsmanlike and it was indeed uh was uh myself losing my self-control so I don't I don't commended, but I have never been punched in football. I've been face masked, I've been clipped, I've been cussed at, I've been hit in the back of the head. You know, you know, just that's just football, right? But I nobody ever shocked me. So I'm going to the ball view if you have the if you have it right. So we're crazy that the camera was on me. I didn't have the ball because the defender going to the ball, right? But mm-hmm. well, the camera was right on me, which is crazy. And I can go into the ball and so a receiver comes to shield me. I want to let him know that it's going to be a long day. Whenever you get close to me, I'm going to, I'm going to hit you. Mm-hmm. Well, no matter what, don't come close to me. If you're trying to shield me, I'm going to hit you in the chest mm-hmm. and let you know that, you know, we're going to have physical confrontation all game long. So when I hit Gordy and he, you know, I lift him a little bit off the ground. I think he didn't like it. So, and he's still standing there kind of, and I go to, you know, I shouldn't have, but hey, football. So I go to push him a little bit. And as I go to push him, you can't really see it. But if you look at my head, I turn to my, my head to the right. As I'm simultaneously pushing Gordy, Gordy, he's swinging, and and he's like, "Wow!" I'm like, "Wait a minute! <laughs> I've never been punched, right?" So I didn't know how to react. I'm in a foul mood anyway. We're playing, so I'm, I'm in very, you know, I'm in a hostile mood in the first place because we're playing football. So I'm like, "Oh, this dude wants to fight." I've never been punched, so I didn't know how to react. So I should have done it, but I did, and I and I hit Gordy right up under his chin. Mm-hmm. And I, right up under his face, not shall I say, right on the bottom of his chin, and, and he rocked back. And if you watch the film, I go to swing because I thought he's attacking me with my left, and he's not attacking me. I realize he's unconscious. And, and then my, you can see my palm open, and I go, oh, my God. And I started praying because I go to his eyes, rolled up in the back of his head, and wow. turned blue. And so I got very, very – I was concerned. And uh, all my de- teammates came around, and I got well, obviously I got kicked out of the game, which was yeah. – deserved it. 
but yeah, that I've never been punched. So young players, you know, anything can happen. But if you get punched, anything you can pull you. You know, <laughs> I, tell, it. I tell you, man, as a nine-year-old impressionable kid in the stands, I was used to seeing us get our butts kicked uh, a lot. And 1981 was the year the Riders started to change things. So I was pretty excited to see a guy stand up for our team. So you know what? It might have not have been great in terms of etiquette, but as a suffering Rider fan, a young impressionable suffering Rider fan, I was like, yeah, kick his ass. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? The greatest thing is, what's so funny is, the fans actually paid my fine. It was $300. Yeah. And uh, back then, $300 was a lot of money, you know, because I wasn't making that much yeah. playing football. But anyway, I was like, is that legal? And they go, yeah, yeah. I was like, well, okay, I appreciate it, but what? They paid my fine? <laughs> but I was like, okay. <laughs> but that was, I was just so, I love the job. I mean, I had a great time in the day. Yeah, that's awesome. The best fans in the world. I'm going to tell you something. When I first came, I was a rookie. You mentioned that in the yeah. opening that I was a rookie in Montreal. Yeah. So you're in a big city. It's like New York without the dangerous fun and all that. So we come out there for a preseason game. We get off the plane, and there's the, air, there's the golf course. Yeah. And it didn't have grass on the greens. I'm like, where are the greens? That's not greens. Oh, man. If I had to play here, I'd quit. <laughs> Next thing you know, I, I'm, I need a job in Saskatchewan calls. And then I was so happy to have a job. And you know what? I really loved it in Regina. The fans love the Rough Riders. And yeah. uh, they support us no matter how tough it was. But there wasn't no lack of trying. I mean, we had a great group of guys that played their butts off. Our coaches coached their butts off. And we'll be back with the second part of our interview with Bobby Jose and our Where Are They Now Wednesdays. You're listening to the radio home of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Time for part two of our Where Are They Now Wednesday interview with our buddy Bobby Hosea, the former rider. And we get into his acting career now. People might remember you. You're a good-looking dude. You not only were a football player, you're an actor. Like, you're O.J. Simpson in the made-for-TV movie. You've done lots of other things, Independence Day, Benson, Perfect Strangers, you name it. How did, how did Bobby Hosea go from football player to actor? Well, you know what? It just kind of happened being at UCLA and, and I just, I guess it was just meant, um, I wore number seven and Mark Harmon, you know, CSI, NCSI came and whatnot. And dad was Tom Harmon, a Heisman Trophy winner from Michigan. He was our color co- co- uh, a coordinator, co- commentator, mm-hmm. uh, our games. And so one day I was in, in our bank, our local bank right there in Westwood at UCLA and I was coming out. And he was coming in and he said, hey, Bobby, have you called those people yet? And I'm like, no, because I had never, he had never mentioned it to me ever, but no. And he goes, hey, let me get his number again. I'm like, okay. He goes, now, now make sure you, you ask for Chris and tell her I told you to call. And the only reason I called him, Michael, was because I knew I'd see him again. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, you know, I didn't even know what they were. I just took the card. I'm just shocked that he's talking, even talking to me about this because I didn't know anything about it. So I call him. It turns out she says, okay, you have any pictures of yourself? I'm like, yeah, I have pictures of myself. Who doesn't really? She's okay. Bring your resume and your picture with you and your headshot. I'm like, what is? I don't even know what a headshot is. I don't have a resume. I've never had a job. So, but here's my blessing, Michael. I was taking sports casting, so I knew how to read copy mm-hmm. and look into the camera and as if I'm talking and not reading. And I had that down because you know we had great, great courses at UCLA. So I went in. I went to my professor. He put together all these lies that I had never done. Um, okay, as a broadcaster, it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And then our sports uh, our, our photographer for the Daily Brew in our newspaper, uh, Bill. I said, hey, Bill, do you know what an headshot? He goes, yeah, you need one? I go, sure. He said, so I, I take a picture. I'm all goofy looking, smiling. So I take this in, and the lady, uh, i never forget her. I can't think of her name right now, but she looks at my resume, and she's like, you did all this? And I go, yes, I did. She goes, why come I've never heard of you? I said, I have no idea. So she hands me this piece of paper, and she says, okay. 
this is a, this is a script. I'm gonna make a phone call, go over it. So I look at it and I set it down on the table, and she's like, "Wow, that was unusual." What I didn't know that actors like they just agonize of what's my motivation, what's my thought, what am yeah. I doing? And I don't do that. I just look at it and go, "Okay, I just believe it right away." So she says, "Action," and I and I do it the bit. And at the end of the little bit, she says, "Oh my God, you're a natural." I said, "I am." She goes, "Yes, I'm gonna start sending you out." I go, "Well, ma'am." Uh, I'm a senior at UCLA. I can't work, but I'll be back at the end of my senior year, okay? So she just like, you can see like this melt like a the Wicked Witch from the Wizard of Oz when they threw the water on it, right? And she's like, oh, disappointed. And I, sure enough, I go have my senior year. I call them back. Hey, I'm available now. Okay, they send you out. They go out for a Safeway commercial. Everything you want from a store and a little bit more. And I ended up getting it. It was the first thing <laughs> ever went on. I got it, and then like I would spend six months in L.A. right doing commercials, ten, twelve national TV commercials, unheard of. I didn't know. I just I didn't know. And then I go to Canada and play football for six months and make twenty three thousand dollars in Canadian money, <laughs> and then come back home and make real money. I mean, like make like seventy, eighty thousand dollars. I didn't know that I was an actor, you know. But as I got towards the end of my career, I realized that you know football's not forever. My body was starting to give in. At 28, I walked away from the game. I said, what's next? My neck, my back, what's next? You know, and I, so I started studying it for real. Mm-hmm. Uh, like 26 years old, I started taking acting classes. So I, I became, I actually realized that, man, I am an artist and I have something I can, I can do this, right? Because I really focus, like football is the same focus. It's just in a different uh, environment. Yeah. But it requires the same amount of focus. Yeah. And that's what happened, man. And so I just kept going and going on auditions and getting them and working and moved to the next thing. So I wanted to go to the next thing. So like you said, you said Benson. That was amazing. I got a Benson. I don't know how I did it, right? Because every time I would rap Michael, I would always go, oh, no, I hope they don't find out. I don't know what I'm doing. I need another job. Right? Wow, <laughs> man. Always, I was so lucky. Yeah, you've carved out a great career that way, too, and now back to coaching. But before I let you go, man, you played O.J. Simpson. What was it like to take on that role? Uh, it was very challenging in that, well, for me, you know, being a competitor, I, I claimed it the day that he was in his, in his driveway, in that car. I'm real. Okay. I'm an American. I'm real. So mm-hmm. I said, bro, you better get your butt out that car because the sniper's on the roof. You're accused of killing two black people. I mean, two white people in America and you're a brother and you're in a car and the sniper's are on the roof. As soon as the sun goes down, homie, you're dust. You better get your butt out that car. I'm talking to the TV, right? Yeah. And he gets out. Next thing you know, he's got his hands in the air. And he's walking. And they come and get him. They take him in the house. And my wife was in the, in, the, in the living room. And I was in the den watching it. I go in the living room. I said, baby, I'm going to do my movie. She goes, what movie? I said, the OJ movie. She said, they called you already? I said, no, no, no. He's not even in jail yet. But they're going to call me. Because they had done two Joy Budafuco movies, two Roseanne Barr movies, and two movies about Madonna movies of the week. Yeah. It was just kind of like that. So I just knew they were gonna make a movie about other week about this. And so I started researching OJ and I and wow, all these similarities we had was almost like the Twilight Zone theme music started playing because it's um it was unbelievable the things that we had in common. It was just crazy. Mm-hmm. And I just kinda claimed that this movie was gonna be me. And that's kinda how it happened. But I had worked with him on first and ten years earlier on HBO and it was just amazing that I had a scene with him, right? And uh I got all dressed up. I'm the, I'm the team's uh, um, PR director. So I'm like, I'm trying to make Tom Unessa America's quarterback. Like Dallas was America's team. So they're biting off that whole thing, right? So yeah. 
but I was making me America's PR man. So I was all flashy. I got, I don't know if I had a skin suit jacket on or something. I don't know. A skin snake, a snake skin jacket. I don't know. But anyway, I see OJ. I say, hey, Juice, Juice, I'm working. I'm like a little kid. I'm working with you, man. I'm working with you today. He looks at me up and down, turns to his left, and never says another word until the director says, oh, let's rehearse. And he never looked at me throughout the whole scene. <laughs> so it hurt my feelings. Right, it hurt my feeling. I'm like, man, you're running through airports and, you know, and all this stuff. And he was doing the Avis commercials and all that and everything else. I said, you, you can't act anyway. I'm going to show you. I said, of course, I said all this to myself. I said, you can't act anyway. I'm going to show you one day. And wow, he takes a ride in a Bronco, accuses a kid of murdering two people. Yeah. And it becomes a big national thing. And, and I'm in Hollywood and uh, I've been told I look like him and that. But I went in for the audition and uh, I got it. Yeah. Um, so, but so, then it was wild, but it, things got, you know, very crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and I think it affected my job, my work ability, because there's a lot of Trojan directors and people from SC in the business. I don't know if they had it or not, but I was, I was, I was getting a lot of ass in acting, man. I, I book, I, I'm a competitor, so I go to win, so I prepare to win. That's the bottom line about being a football player. If you don't prepare to win, you're not going to win. So if it's in your blood to prepare, it goes, it follows you no matter what you do. And I don't know that it, it was, uh, because of me playing that part. I hmm. can't say that for sure, but I didn't change. And I think I'm growing, getting better every day as an actor. So I didn't, I didn't lose anything, but anyway, yeah. it was a life lesson. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Did you now let, let me ask you this. I'm going to get your opinion since you played him. Do you think OJ Simpson was guilty? You know, the first thing people always ask me that. And at the time it was right when, you know, parents had lost their children hmm. and children had lost their mother. And so for me to give my opinion on that, I couldn't win one way or another because it, it split America down the middle, black and versus white. And so who's this guy's opinion? Why should it matter? But I, I, so my answer was basically, you know, if you can live, if you breathe and you can walk and you can talk, you can murder somebody. So uh, I don't put it past him. I don't say that he did it. I don't say that he didn't do it. You know, I have my suspicions. As a, when my neighbor told me, my, I, I was walking in my, uh, my neighbor said, this is when I first found out about it. He goes, hey, did you hear about OJ's wife? I said, the way he said it, I go, what happened? She was murdered. I said, she was murdered? He goes, yeah. And her throat was cut. I said, her throat was cut? He goes, yeah. I said, so where was OJ? He goes, he was in Chicago. Oh, he was in Chicago. He said, he left that night. I said, he left that night? He goes, yeah. And he was bleeding. And he was bleeding. I go, he did it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people would uh, think the same thing, man. I'll tell you what, I wish I could talk to you forever, and maybe we'll have you on again with uh, some more football-related talk, man. This hey, was... maybe we'll talk when the when the writers are getting ready to go to that next breakup, man, and come up with number five. Well, you I, know I, what, I you should again, Mike. How about it? You should come down uh-huh. to you should come to the stadium, my friend. We got a brand new stadium, oh, and wow. we're and we're hosting the Great Cup. Bobby Hosea, the actor, wow. should be in here, man. Wow, I love it. I love the people. I love the writers, man. That's Awesome. It was, those two years I was there, I just enjoyed myself. I really did, man. I got lifelong friends. Steve Stickman Dennis. You got to get Stickman on one day. Yeah, I know. He was the best coach I ever had in my life, and he was my teammate. Stick, stick, <laughs> and I'm teaching what he taught me to my kids to this very day. The Stickman the Dennis man. was a great one, and so was Bobby. Right. So was Bobby Jose. Thanks for this, Bobby. I appreciate it. Michael, my pleasure. Thank you, Bobby Jose. 
on the Western Pizza Hotline on our Where Are They Now Wednesday feature. It's a full show of Where Are They Now Wednesday segments, by the way. And Bobby Hosea was bringing the energy to kick off the show. That's what I like. We're going to hit the break. On the other side, we're going to hear from Ricky Walters right here on the Sports Cage. You're listening to it for Spreads.ca on 620 C Group. Saskatchewan's best coverage of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders is on the Sports Cage, right here on the Mighty 620 CKRM. And this is where they now were speaking with the offensive coordinator of the University of Alberta Golden Bears, Ricky Walters. Now, you go by Ricky or Rick Walters? Uh, you know what? It depends on who's asking. Um, Ricky makes me sound a whole lot younger, so I guess we can go with that. Okay, yeah, that's how I knew you. Ricky Walters, former rider receiver. Uh, here from 94 to 98, I want to say. What were your initial thoughts of Saskatchewan when you got here? Uh, you know, my initial thoughts, uh, wow, this is flat. <laughs> number one, but uh, I think quickly you realized how how genuine and, and, and great the people were. Uh, really, really loved my my time while I was there. Uh, I, tell, I tell people all the time I got a chance to play for what I would equate to the two best franchises in in, in Canada, probably North America, in uh, with the Rough Riders and the Eskimos. So um, my my time in Saskatchewan I had nothing but great things to say about. It. I had a, a lot of lot of fun while I was there. Of course, you're born in Jamaica, you come to Toronto, move to Edmonton. That's how I read your timeline. Uh, what was it like for you to play in that 97 Grey Cup? Because you're on the 97 Riders, I believe, and you went back to Edmonton Riders and the Toronto Argonauts. You played the Doug Flutie team. What was that like for you, basically an Edmonton guy playing in a Grey Cup at Commonwealth Stadium? Uh, it was awesome. A lot, a, lot of, a lot of great memories from that team. Uh, a lot of great guys. Um, we went on a magical... Magical run once we hit the playoffs. It was kind of funny because we had played uh, we had played Edmonton really tough that year, um, and we had uh, we'd actually beat Toronto early in the year, um, and, and so we got to our first playoff game was actually in Calgary, and we, we remember I remember thinking that um, and everybody was talking about if we could just get past Calgary, that we knew that we, we were going to because we played Edmonton really really well. Yeah, I think they finished like sixteen and two, but we played them really well. We just thought if we get past Calgary, we're we're going to be okay in Edmonton, and, and we did. Uh, we got on a great run. Reggie Slack had had some magnificent games. Uh, Curtis Mayfield, really really great team of guys, and uh, came together with the locker room. So after we beat Calgary, it was kind of it sounds kind of stupid, but because um, Edmonton had a great record that year, but uh, we we kind of felt it was a kind of a foregone conclusion that we we're going to go into Edmonton and win that game. Yeah. Um, and then getting into the Great Cup game in Edmonton was obviously it was, it was fun for me growing up in Edmonton. Uh, I got a chance to see a lot of friends and family throughout the week, and um, the score probably didn't end up where where obviously where we wanted, uh, but uh, the game was actually surprisingly close. Like we had a couple opportunities. They had a long kickoff return at the uh, the end of the first half, and then. Starting in the second half, they actually ran a similar return and scored a touchdown on it, and that kind of blew the blew the game away. But um, kind of, you know, kind of set it up on its ear. And then obviously, I was going to worry about Flutie and and uh, Drummond and Pinball and crew was tough. But um, mm-hmm. it, it, was, it still was a it was an amazing ride. Um, and to see how the the fans and in all of Saskatchewan how they how they reacted and how they treated this it was something that. Um, for sure, I'll always, always remember. Who who took you under his wing when you came to the Canadian Football League? Like, who was kind of your mentor, either a coach or a player that uh, helped you along in your career? 
Uh, you know, a whole bunch of guys. You always kind of take a little something from everybody. Um, you know, you took you took a lot. Like I, like when I started, Ray Elgard was still there, so we took a little bit from Ray. Ray was kind of that rough, gruff kind of guy, and you kind of had to earn your stripes with him. Like he he um, was a good guy, but you really have to earn your way. He had to see you be a good player to to start engaging in conversation <laughs> and stuff like that. But, but a good guy, you learned kind of, you know, you learned the physicality and, and the way to go with that. And then, you, and then at the time, uh, Narco was there as well. And, and so you learned how to be a really professional with him. He always practiced really hard and, and you always learned how, how he went about his business. Um, learned a lot from Dan Farthing. He was a little bit older than I was, but we were kind of a couple young guys coming up and, and Dan was always, uh, you know, really good with sharing knowledge and information. Dan was super smart until, you know, you learn the mental part of the game from that. Um, Mike Saunders was there at the time mm-hmm. too. And, and, and so you learned, um, Mike was a, you know, he was just an all around kind of good athlete. He could, he could play in the backfield. He could, uh, move him out as a receiver and you kind of learned how to be versatile and, and how you kind of learn how to do different things like that. So, uh, like you said, good, good group of guys, and then you learned a lot from from everybody. I don't think there was necessarily one one person. Um, uh, and then it was the same kind of time when Richie Hall was. That was his first year. My first year was playing was his first year of coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you got to see him start to develop as um, you know a really good coach in the league and one that's obviously still coaching now. Uh, and, and so you got a chance to see a whole bunch of guys kind of cut their teeth at, um, at the same time. Ricky Walters, offensive coordinator for the University of Alberta Golden Bears, our guest in the Where Are They Now feature here. It's funny how your life comes full circle. You, you move to Toronto, then you're basically an Edmonton boy. You uh, go to Saskatchewan to start your CFL career, and you end up winning, I think, your only Grey Cup in 2003 for the Eskimos right here in Regina. What was that like? It was good. It was cold. Yeah, it was cold. <laughs> it was in 2003. It was a cold game. We we'd actually played. I actually we actually played Montreal the year before. Yeah. Uh, in Edmonton in 2002, and we had lost, and, and we had um, we had felt that we had outplayed them in the game in 2002. We had a ton of yards. We just couldn't score. Um, we couldn't score touchdowns. Uh, Flem, Sean Fleming, our kicker, he'd actually hurt his leg the week before, and so we couldn't kick any field goals. So we had to go for a lot. The, the, the field was crappy. Uh, we lost in, in 2002, and so the 2003 season was really kind of a, a magical team. And, I, and I, we say this all the time. We put that team up against any CFL team. We had people all over the place. It was loaded with guys from from Ed Hervey to Ricky Ray to, to Jason Moss to Tucker to, to John Avery. We just had, we had guys all over the place, and, and it really was a good, good team. And throughout the year, we just we kind of just beat people all over the place that year, and and coming back to to playing the Great Cup game in, in in Regina, obviously full circle for me, especially having started started my career there, and getting a chance to um, uh, to win um, to win in, in 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 Regina was super super neat. Um, we had a great time with it afterwards, obviously, and, and um, uh, it's a good experience. It's one of those moments as a, as a team that obviously you, you you never forget, and and it's kind of lived on forever like uh, i play ended up playing like 11 years and um it, you you remember you remember all aspects of that season and lots of the lots of the 11 you might forget but 
that year you remember all of it. And, and so it's uh, it's a great memory that will stay, stay in my mind forever. What's more important to you, getting a uh, great cup ring or having your name etched in the trophy? Uh uh, probably, probably the trophy. The the ring is just a you know a symbol of what it was. But uh, I've heard guys lose their rings and stuff like that and replace that. I love my ring, obviously, but uh, the trophy is probably something that will be around for for a long time. It was out here. Uh, actually, I have a pretty neat job now. I manage special projects for um, for the government of Alberta. So, and special projects can be things like the Junos or. Great Cups or Olympics and stuff like that. So I get a chance to experience a whole bunch of different things. And the Great Cup was was obviously here in Edmonton last year, and so they they brought it in for uh, for a special ceremony. And sure enough, I had to I had to go and and, mm-hmm. and find my name on on that year. And, and like I said, that was a kind of a cool part. So to have your name on a on a trophy that's been around, uh, you know, since the beginning of time. Uh, and it's going to last for another 100 years is kind of neat. So that, that's, that's probably the bigger deal. Uh, Ricky Walters, offensive coordinator for the Alberta Golden Bears. What do you like best about being a coach? Uh, I think it's just working with uh, young men, I think, uh, um, and, and seeing them transition to adulthood and, and watching um, um, you know, them grow and, and get better all the time. Uh, it's, and I think it's the closest thing that you can kind of find um, um, now that your playing career is over. Uh, you still compete. Uh, you compete um, with uh, with the other coaches and, and the other team. And and so I guess the combination of the competition piece and then just working with, with young athletes is uh, is kind of very, very fulfilling. Ricky Walters doing a great job coaching the University of Alberta Golden Bears as their offensive coordinator. Good luck chasing the Hardy Cup and bigger things, even the Vanier Cup this year. Thanks for this, Ricky. All right, Michael. I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. 2003 Grey Cup champion with the then Edmonton Eskimos. Receiver slot back Ricky Walters joining Michael Ball on the Western Pizza Hotline as we are in another Where Are They Now Wednesday edition year in review style on the sports cage. We're going to hit the break, have a sports ticker for you up next. And then on the other side of that, we're going to hear from Roger Aldeg, number 44, right here on the cage. You're listening to the cage on 620 C. The Sports Cage is your locker room pass. We're talking riders on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Samaj Apani in the box for the second time. This is the third power play of the game for the Oilers. They're 0 for 2. Hyman kicks the puck free to dry side. Back to McDavid. Takes a look. Shoots. Scores! McDavid posted in on the power play. And the Oilers take their first lead of the game. That is just a, a shot that's going to be next to impossible. The Southern side He spots McDavid. Watch this. So he walks to his goaltender's right. Opens up a, another lane. And it's just perfectly placed off the left post. McDavid does such a great job keeping that puck away from Lindholm, who's so good with that stick. Yeah, there's Connor McDavid potting home his 31st of the season, and it was the eventual uh, game winner last night in the Battle of Alberta. That was an absolute snipe 
by Mr. Connor McDavid. And he is our Sports Cage Clutch Performer for Nick Service in Emerald Park, your local Massey Ferguson Challenger, Rogator, Gleaner, and Fan Dealer. Give them a call at 781-1077. And it is time for our Sports Taker for Bronco Plumbing and Heating, where professional service is guaranteed. They'll treat you right. Give them a call at 781-2090. So the United States of America, we're up 2-1 to one on Slovakia here in the World Junior Hockey Championship. But Slovakia has stormed back. They are now up 4-2. I believe they're in the second intermission right now. So 4-2 Slovakia. The big game tonight is uh, Canada versus the Germans. That's a 5.30 p.m. puck drop. Saskatchewan time. There's a whole lot of NFL news going across the wire today. Dolphins coach Mike McDaniel tells reporters that quarterback Teddy Bridgewater will start this week versus New England and that quarterback Tua Tungavailoa did suffer a concussion versus the Packers on Sunday and uh, should in quote worry about his health first so I think that's like two or three concussions for Tua this season at some point you got to think that uh he might shut it down for the year Las Vegas Raiders are benching quarterback Derek Carr and turning to uh, Jared Stidham as their new starting quarterback. Carr has thrown a league-leading 14 interceptions, including three Saturday night during a 13-10 loss to the Steelers. Stidham has only thrown, uh, what, 61 passes, and he's never started an NFL game, but it looks like he will be doing so coming up this weekend. Commanders quarterback Carson Wentz, he will start Sunday versus the Cleveland Browns. Wentz broke his right finger in October, that was, and then uh, he later lost the starting job to uh, Taylor Heineke. And then uh, the Commanders are 7-7-1 seven, seven, and one right now, and they're clinging to the NFC's uh, seventh and final playoff spot. So they need Wentz to come through, and they need him to come through in a big way. As a Packers fan, I hope that doesn't happen because we need the Cleveland Browns to beat the Washington Commanders this weekend. Uh, so hopefully that happens. Uh, Bethune-Cookman University announced... It has reached an agreement in principle with Pro Football Hall of Famer Ed Reed to be its next head football coach. So uh, some interesting news there. All right, we got time for one more segment here. It's a Where Are They Now edition of the Sports Cage here on our Year in Review Episode 6. Hey, let's check out a conversation Michael Ball had earlier this year with uh, Riders legend, number 44, Roger Aldeg. Saskatchewan Rough Riders, number 44, Roger Aldeg. Still a fixture at Rough Rider home games, sitting in the crowd with his wife, Joanne. Let's mm-hmm. go back to 1976. A young, fresh-faced Roger Aldeg is on the <laughs> sidelines for the Rough Riders. And, you know, were you thinking, Matt, I know it was a tough loss. It was the Gabriel touchdown, Clemens to Gabriel. But were you thinking, we're going to be back here again, so no big deal. Yeah, I've often said that, uh, Michael, because the fact that, uh, you know, on the sidelines and my good friend Larry Bird, we were on the sidelines together because he tore up his knee and my my ankle and stuff like that. But, you know, after the game's over, you see, you see the crusty veterans, like it's devastating. It was devastating for us as well, myself, being a young first year. But uh, then you just think, oh, well, next year we'll get it. But uh, we didn't realize that it'd be 11 years after the fact that uh, we wouldn't be in the playoffs. So that's that was a little hard to go through. Yes. How, how tough, how tough, Raj, was it to go through those 11 years before you guys eventually made it? The whole 11 years, that's enough, and you finally made it in, 1880, in 1988. But how hard was it for you to go through, uh, through those 11 years? 
Well, it was hard, but again, we played a, a game we love. I mean, when I look at it, I had great teammates over those years, and uh, it was just a matter. I think a lot of times we had some bad luck there. You know, we also had some bad teams, but it was nobody forced us to do it. We just wanted to just keep going on, and like myself and my good friend Bob Pulley, Juris, and Illibrin, the late Brian Illibrin, we uh, – we just discussed, like, someday we're going to turn this around and we're going to, you know, like the undertaker, Bill Baker, said, you got to get lucky to win. And, you know, what? certain parts of the season we were lucky, but we also had a good team, and I think we deserved to win the Great Cup in 1989. I want to talk about that in a second, but I want to ask you, because I see George Reed, he's been into our control room, still doing great work in the community, but he's struggling to walk now, uh, and what he, you know, what he put his body through. Let me ask you this. Can you answer this question, but you're a good guy to ask it to. Who's the greatest rider of all time? Oh, boy, I tell you what, like... You know, I look, well, obviously, Ronnie and George, you don't expect me to say one, do you? I was hoping you would, but I guess you're not going to. <laughs> and then, of course, my, my heroes those days, we're all, everybody's like Ronnie and George, but a guy like me, like Ted Ness, mm-hmm. he is an offensive line, you know, that I watched all the time. And I tell you what, it'd be hard-pressed to find anybody better than him as well. So, I mean, you could pretty well mention any of those guys from that era for myself, and there's great players now as well. I mean, it's over the years, but uh, that's kind of the guys that I really enjoyed watching. Hey, Rog, how's your body holding up? Because I talked about George, you know, the guy carried it 35 times a game. Everybody knew he was going to get the football. There was no platooning this back coming in, that back coming in. My favorite George Reed line is, hey, George, why don't you run to the huddle? Because I don't get paid to run that way. I only get paid to run one way. But how's your how's your body holding up, Rog, after all these years? Well, actually, uh, well, it's it's holding up pretty good. I mean, I uh, still like to go to the gym. I go to my favorite gym in Lumsden, and uh, I go there, you know, four or five days a week. And to me, that's good for my uh, the mental part and also just the fact of just keeping my body. Because if I don't do a whole lot, I kind of seize up a little bit like everybody else my age. But uh, I enjoy that. I mean, my you know, I didn't come unscathed, obviously, because I uh, – you know, my wrist, to get a little bit of problem there, and then I hit, had a hip replaced and stuff like that. But actually, for the many wrecks that we've been in over the years, when you play 17 years in the CFL, it's, uh, it's uh, but nobody forced us to do it. We enjoyed it. I'd do it all over again, and I loved it, and got to play a team game with a lot of great, great people. Now, when did you when did you kind of have a feeling that you had something special in 1989? Did it go back to 1988, or was there a point in the 89 season where you thought, okay, we, we, we got something going here? Well, again, I mean, with Edmonton, them being the, the team that everybody was uh, looking at to probably have to beat, but uh, as, as it carried on, like I knew in 89, like we had Kent and Bergie, I mean, our, you know, two great quarterbacks, and then we had a lot of other great players. I know it was Algard and uh, Fairholme had a few injuries in 89 there. I mean, they missed the game or so or whatever, but you know, guys stepped in and filled in, and I really think that uh, it was just a, a team atmosphere that we had, that we we believed in each other as teammates, and it was just a matter that uh, you know, we went out there and uh, we just took her one game at a time. I mean, again, we didn't have the greatest season in the world either when you you come in at 500. I mean, it's, uh, but we, the playoffs, like we often talk about it. You know, when you hear a guy like Ray Algard or somebody like that mention, like, we didn't get lucky to win the Great Cup. I mean, we beat 
especially when you talk about like the Western semifinal in Calgary, mm-hmm. you know, that was a tough game. You go to Edmonton to beat them in Edmonton. That was, but we did beat them there. And uh, we probably had a little luck on our side for the great cup because Hamilton was a great team and the bounce went our way a little bit for, for a few of the plays. And I think after all these years, I think maybe we deserved it. <laughs> was, was there any, was there any uh, way you were losing that great cup after knocking off the juggernaut, Tracy Hamlet, Edmonton Eskimos? Like well, there was no, to me, there was no way you were losing to Hamilton, even though it was a close game. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, we just, uh, but we knew there's a lot of work to do as far as the, uh, you know, going to the Grey Cup and with Hamilton was a great team as well. So just thank God that uh, Mr. Ridgeway kicked the winning field goal. And I mean, that's something that uh, will stick with me for the rest of my life. And I know like Ryder Nation and the fans are just great for everybody. Did you did you allow yourself to watch that ball go through, or did you close your eyes? <laughs> I'm not sure what I did. I looked like I was jumping around like an idiot there for a while, anyhow. But it uh, <laughs> it was a great feeling, and then. You know, the defense had to finish it off because there's a few seconds left in the clock, but yeah. Yeah. it worked out. Uh, what What do you do? You remember the feeling? What was that like to finally, after all those years, hoist the trophy with your buddy Bob Poley and, and hold on to that thing? Because <laughs> honestly, I thought uh, when I saw Alexander Ovechkin a couple of years ago carrying that Stanley Cup around with the Capitals, I immediately <laughs> thought of you and Poley because it was like you guys won that championship, and rightfully so because you didn't want to let that sucker go. Well, that's very nice to compare us to him, but uh, I mean, we're just Saskatchewan farm offensive linemen. I mean, but the thing is, yeah, that's great. I mean, especially for guys like myself that are born and raised here, like Bob and I, and uh, my brother Barry played for the Rough Riders, and I remember all those years where they lost, you know, a couple great cups where they could have won and stuff like that, and it just seemed like uh, kind of snake bit as far as the Rough Riders, and it's just, you know, that feeling, it's, it's uh, when I talk to some of the you know, greats in the CFL, like a John Helton, and guys like that, that never, ever won a great cup. I mean, it's, uh, I, I consider myself very fortunate now that I look back that, uh, it had been one heck of an empty feeling if I would never, ever won at least one. Yeah. And, there, there's, uh, a good, was, there, there's a good question for you, Raj. Would your career have been unfulfilled if you didn't win a championship? I guess where, where I'm going with this is we hear a lot of times, well, he didn't win a championship, so he's not a Hall of Famer. Do you think a guy's career is defined by winning and losing the big game? Well, it certainly helps. I know for uh, feeling for ourselves, I mean, I would like it's uh, one of those where it'd be a pretty empty feeling. I mean, after you retire, I mean, sure, you had your opportunity to play with in front of the best fans in the world and the greatest teammates and stuff like that. But not winning a championship, it's like a great cup to me is something that, wow. I mean, uh, I'm just considered myself to this day to be very fortunate to be on that team and uh, have the right uh, people to win it for us and stuff like that. So, I mean, it had been a pretty empty feeling. That was Michael Ball chatting with Roger Alldeg, 1989 Grey Cup champion for your Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And that does it for hour one. We're going to take a little quick break here. And then on the other side, we'll have your news. And then a conversation with Canadian Football Hall of Famer quarterback Damon Allen. That's coming up next on the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca on 620. I love the smell of
620 CKRM is proud to be your official voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and your home for the hottest sports show anywhere. It's a new era for sports talk in Saskatchewan. Welcome to the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. Here we go. Hour two is here. Sean Kleisinger in the chair for Michael Ball today for a few more days. Today, Thursday, Friday, and then next week, starting on Tuesday, the Sports Cage will be coming to you live from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. Every single workday. It's a new era inside the Sports Cage, as you just heard. And I can't wait to bring it to you here in 2023. Watching the United States of America take on Slovakia right now in the World Junior Hockey Championships. And uh, Slovakia is up 4-2 on the United States of America. So uh, we shall see what happens there. The big game tonight in the World Juniors, I I guess it's not really a big game. But uh, Canada's taking on uh, Germany. I mean, it is kind of like a must-win game for Canada. They have to win this game, you would think, to make them, you know, make it a little easier on themselves. And they should win because I don't think Germany really should be in this tournament, to be honest. And uh, so we shall see what happens. It's a 5:30 p.m. puck drop that World Junior game. But uh, hey, we have some local junior hockey right in our own backyard. You know what I'm saying? The Brandon Wheat Kings. They are in town tonight to take on your Regina Pats at the Brand Center. And I uh, can't wait for it. Nice little Christmas break. We got Regina Pats hockey back on the air. And we'll have the pregame, sh- uh, pregame show for you right after the sports cage today at 635 with Dante DeCaria. And then a puck chop will happen shortly after 7. Of course, the Pats will be without a few of, uh, you know, their big names. Connor Bedard won't be in the lineup. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> but uh, can't wait for it. Regina Pats hockey back uh, to start off or almost start off the 2023 portion of their schedule. Of course, I'm jumping ahead of myself here. We're not in 2023 yet, but uh, we are a few short days away until we can't say that. All right, we are in a Where Are They Now Wednesday edition of our Sports Cage Year in Review, Episode 6. And uh, today's show is brought to you by Spreads.ca. You can sign up using the code CKRM, and they'll match your first deposit of 25 to $250. And all of our guests, as always, appear on the Western Pizza Hotline, dine-in, takeout, or delivery. You get it hot, and you get it fast from Western Pizza, as well as uh, our text line's always open. I mean, I'm coming to you live right now, live and in color, on the corner of 12th and Rose, downtown Regina. 306-936-6262 is the text line. As I pull my computer screen closer so I can read a couple texts to you, Eli's on the text line says, We definitely need a decisive Kent Austin-type quarterback to win. Now, he could throw a pass, that guy. That's from uh, Eli. And I'm sure the conversation prior to the news really started getting some memories flowing through Eli's mind of the 1989 Great Cup champion Saskatchewan Rough Riders. We heard from Roger Aldeg before uh, the 5 o'clock news. So uh, keep the text coming. 306-936-6262 is the text line. And speaking of good football players and good quarterbacks, this guy was a pretty good quarterback. I mean, come on. Damon Allen, he was, uh, you know, 
ahead of his time, kind of. Not really, but almost. You know, very mobile. He could run. He could pass. He could do it all. You know, Damon Allen, uh, multi-time Grey Cup champion, Canadian Football Hall of Famer, and he joined Michael Ball on the Western Pizza Hotline earlier this year. It's our next installment of uh, Where Are They Now Wednesday. Here's Ballsy with Damon Allen. And this segment is brought to you by our friends at Floor Coverings International. Need new flooring? Floor Coverings International at the Design Hub brings the showroom to you with thousands of samples. Visit FloorCoveringsInternational.com today. It is time to take a walk down memory lane with one of the great quarterbacks that ever played in the CFL. He was a dual threat with his arm and his legs as he rushed for over a thousand yards in a season, which was unheard of back in the day and Almost as unheard of today as well. His brother famously played for the Oakland and Los Angeles Raiders, and he just had an internship as a coach with the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm talking about number nine, Damon Allen. Been real eager to talk to you, watched your career uh, for a number of years. Now, four Grey Cup championships. The first question I wanted to ask you, is that 2004 one at 41 years old when you break your leg, doesn't look like you're going to come back, and then you come back and lead the Argos to victory. Is that one maybe the most satisfying, or can you rank any of them. Well, I think they're all special, and uh, and the, then it's the culture and the environment with which which you're in that makes it the the story that much greater, right? You know, from my first great coven in '87, uh, you know, coming off the bench, and you know that is is quite special because I think that's one of the things that actually started my career and and gave me that confidence that I can be the player that I you know solely desire. So each one has their own unique story. Um, but the 2004 made it really special because um, uh, I was traded, and the way I was traded, um, and the way I left uh, BC, um, but to end up knowing that, uh, you know, I knew that we we're going to play the BC Lions um, before before they actually played in and after our playoff game in the Eastern Final that year, uh, and the reporter asked me like, who you, you know you going to play? And I said, yes, yeah, the BC Lions. He said, well. And how would you know that? And I said, I just, you can't write this script. Yeah. And so that was basically what I said. And so, you know, leading up to it, it was, yeah, it was something that, like I said, you couldn't write in a book, um, which makes it so much special. But not only winning the game, but also being the great cup MVP, you know, at 41 or 42 years old. So. Uh, that made me, that put the icing on the cake. Uh, what's it take to have that type of longevity? I, th- I think it's a combination of it all. I mean, it's, uh, it's your your preparation, your 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 motivation, and the passion you have about uh, you know every year getting better. Uh, and the same time, you're taking care of your body, right? And so, you know, that's probably the most difficult thing is um, as you get older in life, it's uh, more um, it's the less time you have to take off uh, to prepare your body, right? So. You end up happening. I mean, one of the things I've always did was, you know, based on my um, season, if I was healthy the following year, um, I would never stop actually take any time off. I would just continue on. You know, I may not go five days a week, but I would actually continue on doing two, three days a week of training uh, the whole year, pretty much. And so I, I didn't take that month off or. or or, or two months off before you actually start going again. And, and that was when I started to get up up in my ages. So I just realized that, you know, I came out of this season healthy. 
I can continue on my training still. I'm going to ask you this. Uh, you were an unbelievable athlete. You were like you, so smooth it looked like you weren't even trying out there at times when I, when I, <laughs> when I know you were, but it, it was like you were made out of an elastic the way you were running around. Rushed for over 1,000 yards, which is basically unheard of at the quarterback position. So let me ask you, did you ever, I don't know if you were referred to like this, but I know a lot of guys like you have been. He's an athlete that plays quarterback. Did you ever or would you ever take that as a knock? No, I don't take that as a knock because um, um, those, those kind of players are uniquely, and, and it so happened to be I'm an athlete, but I actually can throw, I can make decisions, I can sit in the pocket and throw, and I can make you know, all the throws on the run, and I can throw any ball um, that, um, that a quarterback needs to, to understand the throw. And so, so, so someone would say that he's an athlete, but most, most, most of that kind of comment that he's an athlete that's playing quarterback um, doesn't um, doesn't give you those kind of other uh, attributes and, and those things. And so it's so happy that I'm an athlete that actually really can play the, the quarterback position. This is, yeah, <laughs> so, this is um, yeah. which is to me is a little bit different, right? Because some of those quarterbacks who are athletes and so playing quarterback, you know, they're one dimensional, right? They either can just run and, and not throw very well, but. Um, you know, like my good friend says, you know, uh, you know, baseball players that have five tools, <laughs> they make big money. <laughs> so they can they can uh, throw, run, hit, uh, hit for uh, average, and hit for power, right? Mm-hmm. So those guys make a lot of money, and so I, I believe I had all the tools uh, that a quarterback would have. So if I was a quarterback with five tools, I would have five tools. Damon Allen, uh, of course, had all the tools when he played in the Canadian Football League. Joining us here, who's a better athlete, you or your brother Marcus? Well, I would probably always say my brother, but <laughs> and he would probably say it would be me. So, but it's five boys in my family, man. We're all competitive, even if we're going out there playing marbles with each other. And so, um, that's how I really learned um, that competitive edge and nature. Uh, but also, I'm I'm a history buff, and so I always have a great appreciation for history and uh, understanding who our greats are. Whether it's you know you go to Saskatchewan and you know George Reeves in town, or mm-hmm. you know uh, you know Ronnie Lancaster, um, you know Jackie Parker. When I first came to the league, I wanted to know these guys, and I and I had that great that much respect that if I came in our locker room, I can actually go up to them and say, Hey, I, I know who you are. And in this this day and age. Uh, you don't get that feeling, and you don't because um, the sense of history. I think it prepared me for the the type of player I wanted to be because the amount of respect that I have for those guys who who truly played the game uh, for the love of it, and because they didn't make a lot of money, but uh, it was just the way how they played the game. Um, and open doors for me that I may uh, play quarterback because. You know, you, you, you like those kind of stories, and, and they're motivating. So mm-hmm. Now, uh, I was uh, doing some research. You do some, uh, with your speaking, you draw some inspiration from Martin Luther King and Jackie Robinson, of course. I wanted to ask you this. Damon Allen, uh, Warren Moon, kind of similar. Warren Moon didn't get his shot coming out of college in the, in the States, comes up here to Canada and makes a, a name for himself. You were just talking about legendary quarterbacks. Uh, did you ever kind of face that kind of prejudice, you know, being the black quarterback, maybe, you know, the stupid, uh, stereotype of not being smart enough to play quarterback? <laughs> well, it, it just comes from, you know, that, uh, you know, just people that you know really just don't understand, it. and it's, so it's kind of ignorant uh, bias. 
uh, and and that ends up holding on to you know the very uh, thought process of that, and and it, and it actually affected years of you know have an opportunity to see a black quarterbacks play the position right and mm-hmm. you know and i think over time people can say that you know the canadian football league um, has opened the doors in that way but i'm pretty sure that i mean you still go through you know different biases and and different prejudices uh even in our game today because um, you know, sometimes you know you, you watch the the announcement uh, and the announcers. I mean, and you know, two guys can throw the same ball, but it's how you describe it to make it seem like one one guy should have thrown and put it in a better spot than the other, and it's actually the same ball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, in a sense, that you do still see some of those things, but yes, I mean, the, the opportunities uh, that we're getting today in this age has continued to grow. And it's good, and more and more quarterbacks and black quarterbacks, if you want to say, are getting the opportunity to play, especially down south. But um, I think they still have the the biases, and still yeah. people still, uh, in a sense, believe that uh, you know the other the other counterpart is smarter. That's the voice of Canadian Football Hall of Famer Damon Allen chatting with Ballsy on the Western Pizza Hotline. Got to hit the break, and then we're going to hear from, what do we got next here? How about Riders legend John Lip on the other side of the break on this Where Are They Now Wednesday? Brought to you by Spreads.ca on 620. Auto Group. Where Saskatchewan sports fans come to talk. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. This is Where Are They Now, where we take a look back, take a trip down memory lane with one of the greats that helped build one of the sports here in Saskatchewan. And we're celebrating the 25th anniversary of the first ever Grey Cup held in Saskatchewan, the 1995 battle between the Calgary Stampeders and the Baltimore Stallions. And our guest this week helped bring the Grey Cup to Saskatchewan for the first time ever. He is John Lip. How are you today, John? I'm excellent, Balzi. It was nice to see you at spring football, uh, you and Tom Shepard. You really do love this game, don't you? Well, I do, yeah. And, and I love watching the, the younger kids uh, play, the high school kids. And, uh, you know, it's just amazing how good those kids are, are starting to play compared to when I played football in high school. So yeah, <laughs> they're I, much, so much better. Hey, where did you, uh, let our listeners in. Where did, you play, uh, where did you play high school football? What's your football I, background, John? I played at, at Balfour Tech under the great Gord Curry when we had uh, those powerhouse teams uh, in, in the uh, late 50s, early 60s when we used to dominate football in the province. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what was Gord Curry like as a coach? Uh, he was, you know, uh, just one, one of a kind. I mean, he, he wasn't just a great coach, but, but, but he had such an influence on me in, in it, you know, in different ways, just as a, as a, as a mentor and and as a just a really good friend even in in, in that time and uh, it was just unique and and just one of those rare people that had a you know an impact on me for the rest of my life. He really was what was uh, you know he was what was uh, the good part of sports, wasn't he? In, indeed, he he really was uh, just absolutely the best. What was your favorite part, John Lip, about being president of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders? Well, I was president in in the era uh, of expansion when we went through those expansion uh, years uh, when we had teams from the from the states, uh, and that was an interesting interesting time. Um, and it was 
you know, a period that a lot of people look back and say, well, that was a, not a successful venture. But in, in a way it was because um, had we not gone into expansion during that period and, and got the, the expansion money from these new teams, the league was financially in a pretty bad state in those days. A lot of the clubs were hurting. Uh, the league as a whole wasn't as strong as it, you know, as it is these days. And expansion really helped uh, infuse some much-needed cash into the, the, the league and into the various teams. So, uh, And it added some certain excitement, uh, having you know, half a dozen new teams from the States that uh, came up here and played. And as you remember, in the 95 Grey Cup, which I helped bring here to the to Regina, it was uh, an American team that won their only Grey Cup. Uh, the Baltimore Stallions yeah. won won uh, to win the Grey Cup. But it was it was an interesting. Um, so that was kind of a highlight. But the other highlight for me was that, that we were able to bring the um, the Grey Cup to Regina for the. To, to be held in Regina for the first time ever, and that was, uh, you know, an accomplishment that I'm really very proud of because it it really uh, uh, helped Regina and to, to be on the on the map nationally as far as hosting uh, an event of that magnitude. Which yeah. we hosted it, and it was an amazingly successful uh, event. We we re we brought back the whole idea of a Grey Cup festival, which had kind of gone by the wayside for a few years, but we kind of brought that back and made it, uh, you know, uh, almost a week-long celebration and party, which it's it's kind of uh, become and, and has kind of... Yeah, and you had, of course, uh, the, the slogan, I believe, was Huddle Up in Saskatchewan. And, uh, uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so, because, one, because one, of the, one of the concerns that the league had when we tried to... Uh, when we applied for the Grey Cup was, well, you don't have enough. We said, that's okay, we'll find the people in Saskatchewan are friendly and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, people will open up their doors, and which they did. And that's out of that grew the slogan, huddle up in Saskatchewan. Come down here, stay with somebody, huddle up. Yeah, hey, and John. <laughs> very successful. John Lip joining us here. And it turned out to be a great, great cup. And if I remember correctly, the day of the great cup was kind of a white knuckle ride. I know Al Ford was telling me fans were booing him because it was a bad year for the riders. Fans were booing him, saying you can't even pull off a great cup. Nice, windy conditions. Were you, <laughs> were you, John Lip, a little bit nervous? Because that was a, that was a situation where they, uh, I don't know if they were close to canceling or postponing the game, but it was, uh, it was nip and tuck there for a while. It was very close. I was very nervous, and 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 the reason was that the winds were at at a level early in the morning, uh, which exceeded exceeded the the levels for our insurance policy. That, you know that the insurance would cover us. Uh, I believe it was up to eighty kilometers. Our insurance was okay, but above that, if something happened, and and you know we had temporary stands up, and if, if they collapsed or something, then we would have been liable. So we. That morning, uh, myself and, and Larry Smith, uh, who was the commissioner, we uh, were constantly in contact with the weather uh, bureau and uh, trying to get constant updates. And, and we didn't open the gates for a couple of hours before the Grey Cup simply because we had to wait. And if the winds wouldn't have died down, we would have had to postpone it. We couldn't take the risk 
of, of the liability if something were to happen. But fortunately, the winds died down enough so that then we opened the gates and, uh, you know, and had a great, great cup. Yeah. The rest is history. Don Matthews and Tracy Ham and the Baltimore Stallions yeah. beat uh, Doug Flutie, Dave Sapungis, and the Calgary Stampeders. Hey, I want to ask you: There is no me- there is no media wing, and I'm not, and I'm not saying that in a self serving way, John. No, I don't think I'd ever be in it. But what I'm getting at is oh. guys like Harvey Johnson, 49 years. This guy was part of relaying the message that JFK was assassinated to Saskatchewan yeah. Rough Rider football fans in 1963. That's how long he's been around. Um, exactly you, you got John Lynch, your buddy there, and and, and uh, he's been a football crazy fan, but also broadcaster for a number of years. You know, and I look at a guy like Bob Hughes, Chaos by the Creek. Has that ever come uh-huh. up? Why don't, why don't we have a media wing here? Oh, it, it, it's definitely come up. Uh, we've, we've looked at this very seriously. Um, and in fact, one of the things when I said we were going to re re look at our man uh, right now our mandate doesn't really allow it mm-hmm. the way we've got it set up but it's it's something that you know we may have to consider is is maybe have a bit of a maybe have a media wing or something like that incorporated but you have to remember the, the initial intent of the Plaza of Honor was for players and mm-hmm. and builders of the club directly. Yeah. And uh, and as important as you media guys are, and, and you are damn important, uh, there's no question that you, you help uh, spread the, the right of pride message and all that stuff. But, it's, you know, we we, uh, we have to then look a little bit differently at the Plaza and broaden it a bit. And we we will look at that. I, I I promise you this fall, when we when we redo the the mandate, and that'll be one of the topics that we'll we'll really look at seriously. Yeah. Uh, and Balzi, you'll be on my list. Oh God, I don't I don't expect to be, but I, I sure you know I grew up I grew up, I grew up though with the Harvey Johnsons and the John Lynches and the Jeff Curriers and those you know, know Ron Barnett. I'd like to see some of these guys honored in in some way, even if you can't put them in the plaza. But John, this is a pleasure. Thanks for uh, taking some time out. I appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure, Baldy. There's former president of your Saskatchewan Rough Riders, John Lip, with Michael Ball on the Western Pizza Hotline, and we're going to hit the break. Looks like Slovakia is up five to three on the states right now at the World Junior Hockey Championship. There is a uh, two minutes left in the hockey game, and the states have an empty net. So it looks like this one is uh, pretty much done. Uh, for the United States of America, Slovakia looking for a nice little upset there. We're going to hit the break on the other side. Well, how about former NHL official Troy Sarnison on the Western Pizza Hotline? It's coming up on the Sports Cage 620. It's time to step into the radio octagon. You're tuned to the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Troy Sarderson, former NHL official. How are you today, my friend? I'm doing well, thanks. Are you coronavirus-free to this point? I uh, I am, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed. You know, what do you make of this? Isn't this isn't this wild NBA, NHL, everything on hiatus? It's, it's a weird time, isn't it? Oh, it, it certainly is. I, I remember I was it was in the middle of my NHL career when SARS hit, and of of course I'd been been traveling extensively at that point. I'd flown through Toronto and through San Francisco and through Vancouver and and all these different places. And of course I you know it was it was March and uh, and I had uh, this wicked case of bronchitis. So I you know of course I'd convinced myself that I had SARS at the time and. <laughs> And uh, you know that was kind of scary, but this uh, 
this is on a whole new level with uh, with leagues suspending play and uh, you know the the spread being as as rapid as it has been. It's uh, certainly unprecedented in my lifetime. Uh, Troy, was was there any talk about that back when SARS was on? Because I don't remember I don't remember uh, it being that bad. Even with uh, swine flu, I don't. In two thousand nine, it killed a lot more people than SARS, and I don't remember it being this bad. Yeah, no, it it wasn't talked about. It was, you know, it was it was in the media, but uh, I, I I don't recall anything coming, like especially anything from the league. There was uh, there was no protocol change or anything like that. So uh, so this is this is of a, of a of a completely different dimension. Yeah, talk about that. You know, you're you're on the road a lot when you're when you're uh, doing your thing as an official. It's easy to pick up bugs, isn't it? We did, we uh, sometimes kind of slough that off. Oh yeah, absolutely, and and. You know, you know, as a as a you know professional athlete at that time, you know you're you're in good shape and you're you're generally healthy. But but you know all the travel and stuff, you know you you start to get worn down uh, as well, and and you you know you can become vulnerable uh, as well. And you know I, I look back and and I I think I would have done things a little bit differently too. I don't think my uh, Hand washing, et cetera, was as probably as good as it, uh, as it should have been back then. Yeah, for sure. Troy Sardison joining us here. Where are they now on Sports Kate, former NHL linesman? Um, what what led you down the path to be an official, my friend? Um, you know, actually, just like most Canadian kids, I, I played hockey growing up, and uh, and one of my friends that I that I had played with, um, he started officiating just a local community league, and. Uh, and he said, you know, this is a good part-time job. He was, uh, you know, I think he had started when he was 12 or something like that. And he was doing, you know, he was, he was, it was, he was making decent, uh, decent pocket money. And, and, uh, so really that's, that was the, the genesis of it. It was a, a good part-time job. And, you know, I think I started when I was 15 years old and, and it, uh, it kind of quickly became something that, you know, that it, it, something that I enjoyed. And, you know, as you start to, um, start to get a little more confident and, and, and become a little bit more proficient, you know, it, it, you know, then, then the challenge started to, uh, to be an appeal, you know, Oh, I I think I can do better. And then you start to progress Mm -hmm. up through the ranks. And, you know, I remember working a, a midget city championship and Ooh, that was exciting as, you know, uh, as all get out. And then, you know, you you just slowly keep working your your way up and and progressing as an official, just you know the way you would as a as a player, and uh, you know really fell in love with the uh, with the job. Yeah, I know for sure. Troy Sardison joining us here. Great to pick his brain on uh, NHL officiating, a longtime NHL linesman. So talk to me about uh, your favorite thing about the job. What was your favorite thing about being an official, either as a kid or when you got to the pros? What did you like the most, the best about being an official? You know, I, I'd say there, there, there are two things that the challenge of it, the, you know, you, you'd always uh, approach a game trying to, trying to be perfect. Uh, you'd, you'd never reach that, that level, but, but the, uh, the challenge of it was, was something that, you know, always, you know, drew me to it. But then, like, honestly, you, you, you also can't replace the adrenaline rush when, when you step on the ice in front of, you know, 20,000 fans and the music's pumping and you're flying around the ice before the players get out there. That's a, there's a, a, there's a rush of adrenaline that, 
you know, in, in uh, the, the almost 20 years since I've been off the ice, I, I certainly haven't been able to duplicate that uh, that same sort of feeling in any other uh, job or industry. Okay, let's have a little fun here. What was the what, what fight that you had to jump in and break up? What one uh, kind of jumps out at you when you think about it? What's the first one that comes to mind? Well, the, the the first one that comes to mind is is the the very first fight that I broke up. Uh, it was a it was an NHL preseason game between St. Louis and Chicago, and I was you know I, I didn't sleep the night before. I was so nervous and and uh, and so this was an old Norris Division rivalry, mm-hmm. and and Ryan Vandenbush and Rudy Postcheck uh, uh, squared off. And they they both broke each other's nose. <laughs> so I you know I'd broken up you know a hundred fights in the WHL et cetera on my way up, and uh, so I get there, and I don't think I've ever been bled on as much as I was in in uh, in that one instance. But uh, you know, but then the probably the the uh, I, I th- the most infamous one would be the uh, I officiated the game where Marty McSorley. Uh, High stick Donald Brashear and uh, the ensuing brawl that that happened and and whatnot was probably the most chaotic scene I've ever witnessed on on the ice. So uh, that one is is certainly uh, uh, more than memorable. Could, could you believe what you were seeing on that night? No, no. I uh, and and that was it was funny. I listened to a local uh, uh, sports radio station here in in Edmonton and. And uh, I was driving one day, and, and the, the host was talking about that play, and, and he said that, you know, oh, I don't think, you know, he doesn't really hit him. He hurts himself when he, when he uh, hits the ice. And, and I actually had never phoned into a station before, and I called in and I said, you know, honestly, I, I have a unique perspective on this um, because I was one of the linesmen in that game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, he said, well, go on. And... Uh, and the, 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 I think the greatest disservice that was done was we always saw these replays in slow motion and they, and they don't do it justice. Right. You know, I said, watch it in, in, in regular speed and you, oh my gosh, he hits him so hard at, you know, and, and actually the response from, from the Vancouver bench after that play was, was really minimal because everyone was just, their jaws dropped. Like it, nobody could believe what they just saw. And, and in fact, it was, uh, it was Garth Snow was the first, uh, the first player who responded, mm-hmm. you know, I, we, we immediately, we, you know, uh, the officials, we all saw it. And I had McSorley right after the incident. And then all of a sudden his eyes get really big and I look over my shoulder and here comes Garth Snow with his, you know, with his blocker and his mask still on. And uh, I've got a pretty good picture of uh, me in between the two of them trying to keep them apart. So, yeah. Hey, do you have, do you have cool piece of memorabilia like that? Do you have some frame photos and maybe a, an official's uniform and things like that, that you keep around for keepsake? Yeah, I, I do. I do. I have some some uh, memorabilia, uh, some frame stuff from my my experience at the Olympics in Nagano, and then I've got I've still got a, a handful of NHL jerseys and uh, and some other. I've got a I've got a great collection of pucks and uh, and and whatnot as well. Although you know some of the guys that I worked with, Ray Scampanella was infamous because he had he, oh my god he he would walk home with come home with sticks and this and that. Like, well, of course he was on the ice for, <laughs> it seemed like 50 years too. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. but, uh, and I remember uh, touring Don Koharski's basement uh, in St. Louis when I was there. And, and he even had a, a set of goalie pads that were Grant Fears when he played in St. Louis. Like, so, so there, there's a lot of guys who were, were real collectors over the years. I, 
I wasn't, you know, necessarily one of them. But I, I've got my keepsake. Troy Sardison uh, joining us here uh, in Edmonton. We'll get to that in a second. Joining us here uh, on Sports Kate. What's the career highlight for you? If you had to, let me ask you this, because I ask athletes this. In fact, I just asked Scott Schultz and Wes Cates this uh, at a dinner I did in LaFleche last weekend. If you could go back, the young Troy Sardison, uh, put on your uniform and ref a game again, what would be that game? What would be the one game or the one period? What would you replay in your mind if you could do it again? Oh, I, I think it would have to be the Canada-U.S. game at the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I, you know, I, I worked in the National Hockey League, that was still the the pinnacle of the of the hockey career. Um, and and I remember, you know, I was an amateur at the time, and and uh, and coming off the ice after that game, uh, Gord Brossaker, who's you know a you know Hall of Fame linesman, uh, says to me, Troy, if anybody has if you've worked the Stanley Cup Finals, you say yes, because that was like a game seven. So you had all that talent, um, you know, the talent of an all-star game, but playing as if it's, you know, you know, like it's for keeps. So that was, you know, definitely the, the, the highlight of my okay, career. Okay, so talk about that for a second. This is a great angle, I think. So we're talking about how fast these guys are skating up and down the ice at a, at a breakneck speed. But they get to go off and have a, a break, get a drink of water, and have, a, you, know, a, you know, 30 yeah. seconds on, 30 seconds off. You don't. What's that like for you? Oh, it's, it's something you get used to, but it's a, and it's a, it's a different sort of a pace where ours is a marathon, where there's are a series of sprints. Right. So, uh, you know, they you know, they're, they're, they're games where it feels like you're sprinting all the time, but, uh, but it's, it's definitely a different type of endurance that, uh, that the job requires. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask you this, Troy Sardison, what's the, above anything else, what's the number one quality in official needs? Oh, I think you've got to have integrity. Um, I think your integrity is, is, is your calling card. Um, and, and you, you, you know, you can imagine you, you need to have a thick skin. You need to be, uh, be able to, to take criticism and, uh, and, and to be able to, to, to focus and, and channel any sort of, uh, criticism into the intensity you bring to to the job you're trying to do. Troy, what are you doing now, Troy Sardison? This is where are they now? What what do you do now that you're away from the game in terms of being an official? Well, just like any um, retired NHL linesman, I uh, I I went into uh, farm equipment sales. <laughs> 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 no, it's 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 funny. I I, I had been, you know while I was working the WHL, I had started to work for a. Um, farm equipment manufacturer as as a part time job, uh, you know, while I was officiating and and after my NHL career, I I, I landed in a, a similar industry. I, I sold John Deere equipment for ten years, and then the last five years, I've been doing some more consulting, all in the uh, the ag industry. I work with with uh, farms and farmers um, and uh, try to help them improve their their businesses. Uh, so I'm. I'm doing some some coaching there, and then I'm also coaching in the uh, uh, in the uh, officiating program with the WHL, giving back to a program that uh, they gave me so much over the years. It's awesome. Okay, last question for you. My nephew is a 13 year old uh, hockey player, but he also offici- uh, officiates for, like you said, pocket money, and he, yeah. he enjoys it. And who knows where it goes? Maybe it goes nowhere. Maybe it goes somewhere. He's a good kid, good athlete, and one of those mm-hmm. one of those kind of. Uh, just the even keel kids, which I think is pretty good for an official. But oh, my, yeah. my question to you is, what kind of advice do you have for a 
young and up and coming official like him because I say you guys are, you know, you guys are uh, you're you're a different breed and you're underappreciated. You're like you're like offensive linemen. Like nobody notices an offensive yeah. lineman until he blows a block or gets a holding penalty. <laughs> nobody ever leaves a game and says, "Boy, that was a well officiated game." So what? Yeah. So what? What? What advice do you have for somebody like that coming up? Well, I the the advice I would have would be. Uh, twofold is one is is enjoy every every level that you're at um you know you're, you're gonna you're, you're gonna be working minor hockey games and you're gonna work uh work your way up the ladder but but if, if you enjoy um every level that you're at you're, it's you know it's it's gonna make a huge difference and the other thing and this is more from a from a, a, a you know potential career standpoint there has been a real focus on skating ability um at the national hockey league level that is the number one criteria that they're uh, how they're assessing their prospects and so i would say to any up-and-coming officials keep working on your skating um keep playing because that can often often uh, uh do that for you as well so uh but uh, but yeah, that's the that's the, the biggest change that I've seen is is uh, there's such a, a focus on skating. Obviously, it's it's important. So real pleasure for me to talk to you, Troy. I really appreciate your time. It's great to go down memory lane with a, a former great like yourself. And uh, good luck selling the equipment and uh, coaching the refs and everything you do. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Michael. Former NHL official Troy Sardison with Michael Ball on the Western Pizza Hotline. Canada and Germany are underway, and Canada. Is uh, up one to nothing. Nice uh, assist there from Regina Pat's center, Connor Bedard. It looked like uh, Genther, Dylan Genther, was uh, the one who uh, potted that one home. So 13 minutes remaining in the first period, World Junior Hockey Championships. Canada won, Germany no score. That was a power play goal for Canada. We're going to hit the break and have some more for you on the other side. You're listening to the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca on 620. Our house is your house. Welcome inside the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. 5.52 inside the Sports Cage. It's still one to nothing Canada over Germany at the World Junior Hockey Championships in Group A action. And uh, we have our own junior hockey in our own backyard tonight. Brant Center's the place. The Brandon Wheat Kings are in town taking on your Regina Pats. That's a 7 o'clock puck drop. The pregame show will be on the air right after the sports cage at 6.35 with the voice of the Regina Pats, Dante DeCaria. And I uh, can't wait for that one. Seems like it's been a long time since we've uh, listened to some Regina Pats hockey. And uh, there's a lot of news in the National Football League today regarding uh, quarterbacks. Uh, Dolphins coach Mike McDaniel, uh, he told reporters that quarterback Teddy Bridgewater will start this week versus New England and that quarterback Tua Tungavailoa did suffer uh, a concussion versus the Packers on Sunday. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, didn't he like play the whole game? Well, yes, you are right. He did play the whole game, but uh, he still suffered a concussion, I guess. So we're going to see where that that scenario takes him. But uh, not a good look for the Miami Dolphins, that's for sure. Uh, Las Vegas Raiders, they're benching Derek Carr, and they're turning to Jarrett Stidham as their new starting quarterback. As uh, Carr has thrown, what is it, like a league-leading 14 interceptions, including uh, three juicy ones on Saturday night during that uh 
13 to 10 loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Stidham has only thrown 61 passes in his career, and he has never started an NFL game. Um, but he will be now because Derek Carr, he's getting the big bucks, and now he's going to be uh, getting uh, big water bottles on the bench. The big clipboard, I guess, would be a better way to put it, on the bench uh, come Sunday. Uh, Commanders quarterback Carson Wentz. How about this? He set the start on Sunday versus the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Wentz broke his finger, his ring finger, it was, back in October, and then he later lost the starting job to Taylor Heineke, who came in in relief of Carson Wentz and, you know, ended up playing pretty good. And then ever since then, Wentz has been riding the pine, and then, uh, well, the commanders have been struggling as of late, so it looks like Carson Wentz is going to be uh, back in there now. The commanders, they're at 7-7-1 seven, seven right now, clinging to the NFC 7th and final playoff spot. And as a Green Bay Packers fan, really hoping that the Cleveland Browns can, you know, sneak a win against the commanders this week because, check this out, if the Packers win their last two games, if they beat Minnesota and they beat Detroit, all they need would be for Washington to lose one of their last two games of the year. So two Packers wins and one Washington loss, and the Packers will be in the playoffs. Now, can you believe that? If you would have told Packers fans that a few weeks ago when the Packers were sitting at 4-8, and eight, uh, you know, I think we would take this position we're in right now. So, uh... Let's see what happens on Sunday. Pulling for the Brownies to beat the Commanders. Some more football news. Bethune-Cookman University announced it has reached an agreement in principle with Pro Football Hall of Famer Ed Reed to be its next head football coach. So it looks like a lot of these universities now, they're kind of thinking, hey, do you know what? Let's, let's hire an old Hall of Famer. Let's see if he can do what Deion Sanders did with Jackson State. And let's see if uh, Deion Sanders, uh, if he could be the next Deion Sanders. I, that's the vibe I get. Uh, you know, we shall see, though. Of course, Deion Sanders is now the new head football coach for uh, the Colorado Buffaloes. And look at this. Team Germany has just tied it up. It's one-to-one now at the World Junior Hockey Championship with uh, 8 minutes, 52 seconds remaining in the first period of play. Uh, Canada, you know, know, they don't have it made. You know, brand new tournament. This isn't August anymore. This isn't August in Alberta. This is a brand new tournament, and the Germans are playing hard, and it's a one-to-one game now. Speaking of hockey, before we uh, head to break and uh, hear the news from Andrew Dawson. Marie-Philippe Poulin has been named the Canadian Press Female Athlete of the Year. She joins Haley Wickenheiser as the only females to win the award. And speaking of hockey, too, um, I got to mention this. The Toronto Maple Leafs, they're in a bit of trouble right now. They got a they got the belt on the wrist or the belt on the behind, if you will, because the Maple Leafs have been fined $100,000 for violating the collection bargaining agreement. The National Hockey League announced today that it has fined the Maple Leafs organization 100 grand for the team's travel to St. Louis on December 26th of 2022. This team activity was in violation of Article 16.5 of the collective bargaining agreement between the NHL and the NHL Players Association. So the fine money goes to the NHL Foundation. That news came in, oh, about uh, 
an hour and a half ago. So the Toronto Maple Leafs, bad boys, bad, bad boys. Breaking for the news on the other side, we're going to hear from former Saskatchewan Rough Riders linebacker, former Houston Texans linebacker, Brian Peters on this Where Are They Now edition of our year in review show on the cage for spreads.ca. You're listening to the Sports Cage on 620ckrm.com. We're talking sports on your way home. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620ckrm. 608 inside the Sports Cage. Sean Klasinger here. It's our Sports Cage Year in Review shows, Episode 7, and I'm just kind of marveling at what just happened during this hockey game. Connor Bedard scored yet again on his patented, uh, that is the glove hand side, lower corner goal against Germany. So now it's 3-1 to one Canada over the Germans. Shane Wright put up Canada 2-1 to one, uh, shortly before Bedard's goal there. So 2 minutes, 34 seconds remaining. Canada up 3-1 on Germany at the World Junior Hockey Championships. Some zinger here. And yes, we got today, tomorrow, and then Friday. And then after that, we'll be uh, getting set for the sports cage to start at 3 p.m. from now on, starting uh, this coming Tuesday. So so after holiday Monday, starting on Tuesday, January uh, 3rd, the sports cage will be from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. every single workday. So I can't wait for it. It's been a fun year here in 2022, and uh, we still have a few more uh, year-in-review shows to go. Today's show is brought to you by Spreads.ca. You can sign up using the code CKRM, and they'll match your first deposit of 25 to $250. And it is another special edition, a uh, Wednesday uh, Where Are They Now edition. And every single Wednesday during the year, Where Are They Now is brought to you by Floor Coverings International. Need new floors? Well, let Floor Coverings International bring their mobile showroom to you. Visit their website for your free consultation. And uh, there was one other thing that I wanted to mention, but it's slipping my mind. Oh, Regina Pats Hockey in our own backyard this evening. Yes, a big junior hockey championship tournament is happening right now, but we got our own junior hockey in our own backyard this evening as uh, the Brandon Wheat Kings are in town to take on your Regina Pats. Puck drop will happen shortly after 7. Dante DiCaria is getting all nestled up up at the Brand Center press box. He's getting ready here for a night of Regina Pats hockey. All right, we still got a few more segments before we get there, though. Where are they now Wednesday? continues with a conversation Michael Ball had earlier with a former Riders linebacker, former Houston Texans linebacker, Brian Peters. Here's that conversation on the Western Pizza Hotline. This guy was money in the bank for the Rough Riders before he went to the NFL with the Houston Texans. And speaking of investing, I know you were meeting with a financial planner, you told me. Did you always have an eye on uh, life after football in terms of managing your money and knowing what you want to do after the game? Um, yeah, the, the biggest part is actually getting money in the first place. Uh, that, 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 that was why my focus was so much on the strength training and uh, learning about the game of football and all those kind of things. But, I mean, once, uh, once I was in a position to start investing and taking care of myself in the future and all that stuff, it's the same kind of concept. I just started learning. Um, reading books and finding the right uh, people. And I, I interviewed a bunch of financial advisors. Um, my knowledge is pretty limited, so I, I had a couple other people I was talking to that give me some guidance. And 
eventually I found a guy that I liked that looked out for me in the short term and the long term and educated me in the process and um, was very transparent with the fees that go into like mutual fund management and that right. kind of stuff too. And that, and like those hidden fees and that kind of stuff uh, drastically affects like your compounding effect of your money over time. So um, all those things combined, like I just, again, like I try and find the best in a lot of things and hopefully I'm in a safe um, kind of aggressive, safely aggressive situation yeah. financially. But it's just, again, yeah. it's just a, it's part of life and, the first couple of years in the NFL, I wasn't as responsible with it. I was pretty immature and just assumed like I'll take care of it in the future and all those kind of things. But um, I kind of I wised up and got responsible and started learning and those kind of things. And everything's kind of taken care of itself since then. Who's the best back that Brian Peters has ever played against? Hmm. Let's see here. Derrick Henry wasn't as as dominant as he was when I like I, like I didn't get a, lot, a bunch of tread on defense, but when I did, like I played a, a decent amount against Titans. Yeah. So I played against Fournette and Henry, but Henry wasn't really the dog he was right now. Who was nasty? I didn't get against play against Kamara. I uh, I guess I, I played against uh, McCaffrey his rookie year. Yeah, briefly. You got a bunch of dynamic guys across the board now too, and like everybody's starting to play these uh, younger backs and a bunch of like third down backs, so like, you don't see like the three down backs as much. Bunch of moving parts, but I mean that, that's a fun part of the process, and like again, what a fun part of being like a GM and a pro personnel guy. When you played in the NFL, did you play fantasy? How interesting was that to, to maybe play fantasy football when you played in the NFL? Because I don't think that's against the rules per se. No, not yeah, not if you like you're. Not as long as you're not like playing for money, and then like in in my league as well, like we play for punishment. So okay. like instead of like trying to win the league, I mean everybody tries to win, but uh, you try not to lose as well. Like so, the the last place team has to take the ACT, which is like the standardized testing to get into college here in the United States, and then. Uh, second to last has to do a 10 minute stand up routine, and then third to last has to do like a 12 month seasonal calendar of pictures. So, um, well, you'd you'd be okay uh, with that. You could do that, man, with that body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do great with the calendar, but no, I'm actually still on the line uh, for a couple of years ago. I haven't been back to Chicago. But all my guys in Chicago who I play with, but uh, yeah, a decent amount of guys play fantasy. But honestly, like I like. I never really cared too much about it, so I'd like forget to set my lineup and those kind of things. Cause, yeah. And I like if, if I ever lost, I just would I just play the. Oh, sorry guys, I'm playing real football, 3D football. <laughs> so I love it. Uh, that's yeah, that always worked for me. That's awesome. Hey, have we made it too easy on the offense with these rule changes? Like, I can't imagine playing defense <laughs> in football. Like, you can't tackle a guy. You can't touch a guy. You can't even tackle him now below his nameplate, and they're calling penalties. To me, and I'm an offensive guy by nature, but to me watching this, Brian, it's like we're making it like the NBA three-pointer now. Like, now in the NBA, there's no, like, mid-range jump shot. It's either slam dunk or three-pointers. The NFL, it's like four. 40-36, 42-34. To me, too much of anything is no good. Um, yeah, I just uh, I think they need to let the boys play a little bit more. Um, obviously, the refs didn't get their preseason to iron out some deals, so hopefully some of these penalties start going down a little bit. You, you're referring, you're, 
you're, wait, you're referring to the scoring. You're referring to the penalties. Sorry. I'm referring. I'm referring to the well. The scoring's going up, but the penalties help it go up. Go up. For instance, how about this one? This is the one I hate the most. So a team, let's say the uh, let's say the Browns are uh, you know they're they're uh, second and twenty six, and the Steeler guy gets called for a five yard defensive holding penalty and an automatic first down. I think that's the most ridiculous penalty in the NFL. That automatic first down on a five yard defensive holding penalty. Oh, I. I completely agree, and like, obviously, like defense, particularly defensive ends, continue to gripe uh, pretty loud about it. But um, yeah, like those those little things that we've we've brought up. So I was a PA rep for the NFLPA for a few years, and we brought things like that up to the competition committee and those kind of things. But most of the stuff they listen to us on is really health and safety related, the pass interference reviews and all those kind of stuff. That was all them. And you guys are still doing that in the CFL, correct? Yeah, we're doing that. And we were the ones that moved the extra point back as well, which I think is a good football rule. But you're a special teams guy. Why... Like, you tell me this. Why can kickers go out, and if you ask them to kick 10 32-yard field goals, they probably make all 10, if not 9. But you watch them go out and kick extra points, and they can't make an extra point. Why do you think that is? Do you think mentally guys, including the kickers, let up from 32 yards on an extra point because it's only one point and not three? I, I mean, I hope not. Honestly, like, I, I'd have to talk to, like, uh, like I'm so good buddies with uh, Kayumi Fairburn down in uh, yeah. Houston, but... I I would assume they try not to treat anything different. Like I don't think an extra point should be anything, especially with the like with I I, I, I think what's it? I think it's eighty three percent right now extra points or is it eighty yeah, seven? Yeah, I like can't eight, remember. yeah, right around there. Yeah, yeah. Which again, which that's a, like missing an extra point changes the inc- complete dynamic of the fourth quarter usually. So I would hope they don't treat it differently. I'd hope, but like again, like. I mean, I don't know. There, there seems like there's a lot of stress on kickers now for missing. Like, there's a lot more kicker turnover in the past two years than I think there's ever been in the NFL. Think, things like that. It's like, I don't know. Like, it's kind of like how I play golf. Like, I try and hit the ball as hard as I can to, uh, <laughs> uh, on, on every shot just to remove error. Last question for you, Brian Peters, and I thank you for taking time out of your schedule here. So, um, the NFL kickoff, how do you feel about that? It's mostly useless. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah. I, uh... I, I don't know. I was personally, I was more productive when we got the running start. So yeah, uh, I think it, uh, it it allows for, I guess, a little more pure speed to be exposed. Like I'm much better with a running start than I am at like getting 240 pounds moving fast for the first 10 yards from a standstill start. But um, I mean, I like I'm never gonna argue against health and safety. Like, is it? Are concussions down 20% or whatever they're saying from the kickoff being moved back? Yes, but we're also experiencing probably 20 to 30% less returns, if not more. So it's just, uh, I'm not a, I'm not a fan being a special teams guy because I want that facet of the game and that, that, that third phase of the game to be timeless. Like, Like, I think it's just, uh, I think it's limiting guys' opportunity to make plays and special teamers to become career guys. Now there's more turnover, it seems like, because it's not as important because now you only have one tackling, which is the only stat you get on special teams, really, besides returners. So for guys like myself, I want as many opportunities to hone my craft and produce and be relevant, and I think that takes away from that side of the sport. And if you're going to keep doing that and keep talking about removing – onside kicks for 
for a fourth and 20 scenario and stuff like that, you're talking about eliminating a part of the game that's influenced the game for a hundred years. So I don't know. I always enjoy my chats with you, man. Thanks for this. I appreciate it. Sounds good, man. Take care. That's Michael Ball with former Riders linebacker Brian Peters on the Western Pizza Hotline. And we're going to hear from another former Rider on the other side of this break here. How about the center of the 1989 Great Cup champion Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Mike Anderson. That conversation is coming up next on this Where Are They Now? Wednesday edition of the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca on 620. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Sports Cage. Now back to the action on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Epic 1989 Great Cup battle between your Saskatchewan Rough Riders and those Hamilton Tiger Cats. Many call it the greatest Great Cup game of all time. Riders winning, of course, 43-40. to The guy in the center of all the action on offense was the center, Mike Anderson, who, when he retired as a rider, had played the eighth most games in team history at 205. 205 games, Grey Cup champion, center of all the attention, Mike Anderson now joins us. Very proud and honored that those were consecutive games, so had some dings over the years and uh, had, a, had a good long run. I, I really enjoyed that, uh, certainly those 12 years. Yeah, think about that, though. You're an offensive lineman, the center of all the action. You're getting hit on every play or hitting somebody in every play. 205 games is quite a remarkable stat. You know, it really is when you when you take a look back at it. I, I know that uh, there's some guys, obviously, you mentioned uh, eighth overall that had, have had much longer careers and, and uh, have played more games, but uh, certainly a physical area. And, and uh, the, you know, from the standpoint of injuries, generally the, the only time frame that we get injuries, injuries is, is through overuse of kind of pounding away at, at certain areas of our hands and knees and feet or somebody else kind of falling into you, which unfortunately happens every once in a while. So, yeah, I'm very proud of, uh, of being able to play that uh, that long and, and that many games in a row. What was the worst injury Mike Anderson played with? Well, I, I, uh, I closing in on the end of my career a couple of years beforehand, I, I started to have some problems in my lower back and unfortunately had to have surgery during one off season. But uh, I was able to come back and play after that. And, and still to this day, uh, my back is still in, in pretty good shape. So uh, that was one I think that was probably the most traumatic. I didn't ever have one of those uh, injuries that was uh, that would, you know, a torn cartilage to the point where, or I should say a ligament to the point where I would be, you know, out for a long period of time. Other than uh, my first training camp, I tore partially tore my ligament uh, and missed the first nine games of, of my Rough Rider career. And after that, it was, uh, it was clear sailing. If we were scouting Mike Anderson today, and he was a player, and you were on the opposing team, what would you say in the scouting report about Mike Anderson, the center? Uh, he, he generally tends to lead with his head, uh, which unfortunately, because I was one of the, the smaller O-linemen, I think, uh, in the league, I came in at, originally in 1984 at, at what they thought was a, a, a good size, at about 265, 75 pounds. And by the time I, I retired, um, I was probably around 275, 280, but our offensive line averaged about 305 to 310 pounds. So the game became very large during that time frame, and so I had to throw everything that I had uh, at the, the defensive lineman to make sure I slowed him down. Did Mike Anderson suffer many concussions because of that? 
Um, you know, I, I, I did have some concussions, but not to the point of I, I think that we see in today's game. It's, it's a little bit faster. And, and uh, on the line, you know, we're fortunate that um, w- our collisions are fairly short distance collisions, I would suggest. Um, you're not having, uh, you know, like a defensive back that will run 20, 30 yards and, and make contact with, with uh, one of the other players. We, we generally don't have those types of situations. But I certainly had, you know, a couple here and there, and, um, and, and uh, you know, they don't seem to have major issues here at, at this point in time due to that. Talk about that O-line because, you know, it's with any team. That O-line, the group of Hoggies, they're a tight-knit group. They stick together much like the Ryder O-line today. Back in the day, you had uh, Poli, Aldag, and such. Just talk about the tight-knit group that was the offensive line of the Rough Riders. Well, I look back at that group, and, and I certainly, you know, had some some absolutely fantastic guys to work with and to play with, and guys that were leaders for years, and guys that I watched, you know, for years. That you mentioned two of them, Poli and Aldag, and and uh, what was amazing to me is that we're all, you know, in a competitive circumstance, and you know, people are coming in to try and take jobs. But when I did get an opportunity to play and get a chance to start on that old line, they. Uh, they took me in like I was one of the family, and and I remember a couple, one of the first couple games that uh, got into a little bit of a tough with with uh, one of the one of the folks on the other side of the line, and and both those guys were right there beside me uh, throwing haymakers, trying to make sure that I was taken care of. So, you know, I've mentioned a lot of times that the the character of the team that that I played with and had the opportunity to be around for for 12 years was really uh, something that that really strikes you as as a as a key to remember. Now, if there ever was a Saskatchewan Rough Rider, a true Rough Rider, it, it might be Mike Anderson, born in Regina, raised in Saskatoon. You got you got North and South covered there. I do. Yeah, I, I moved to Saskatoon when I was uh, a little bit younger, but I also, you know, to add to that, had the good fortune of having my father uh, play for the Rough Riders, mm-hmm. Paul Anderson, from '53 to '58. So. I was a second-generation Rough Rider, which even brings, you know, more, obviously, more excitement to what, you know, what was accomplished there. So, I mean, what an honor. I was the, the final uh, territorial exemption, is my understanding, in 1984. Uh, Saskatchewan boy come back to have an opportunity to play with the hometown. How much better can it get than that? Yeah, no kidding, and I was going to mention that. It must have been quite an honor coming over from the San Diego State Aztecs to come back here and, and like you said, kind of, uh, carry your father's tradition on. That must have had a li- was there a little pressure there because of that, Mike? You know, there wasn't pressure in the sense that uh, anything that he would have created. Uh, my dad was one of those guys that uh, kind of coached from from a distance, so to speak. He was there in support all the time, always at the high school games at Gordy Howe Bowl, always at you know things, making sure that he was supportive. But he never really put the pressure on either to play football or or uh, certainly to you know to, to compete or anything like that. So I, I never had that uh, that sort of pressure that I think some people, unfortunately, these days have. Mike. Who did you, uh, I don't know if enjoy is the right word, but who did you kind of look forward to lining up against, uh, you know, in, in your 12-year career, whether it be in practice or the opponents, Eskimos, Calgary? Was there a guy that you either said, oh, man, I got to face him, or you rather enjoyed lining up against? Well, you know, there's a, there's a number of guys both on our team and, and certainly that we competed against that you'd, you'd like to be challenged by. Uh, Gerald Bayless comes to mind, Gerald. 
uh, obviously became a rough rider for a period of time. So not only did I compete against him, but also had the uh, had the, uh, the the circumstance where I would uh, practice against him all week. He was he was a very good player, and I think that's the thing you want to you want to be challenged in games. Chuck Klingbill is another one. Both of those guys really powerful players. And again, I was moderately undersized at the time when I was when I was playing. So those guys created some challenges. But again, you want to always be challenged in that game. Now, how different was it to be a center for Ken Austin versus Tom Burgess? Because back in the day, we had the Burgess Austin debate. A lot of fans weighed in on some players. I've asked Farrow and Elgard who they who whose side they chose. I'm not asking you that, but was it different to be a center uh, for Burgess as opposed to Austin? Different demands, different types of uh, you know likes or dislikes for them. Yeah, they they manage the games differently, I would say, and and probably manage the personnel a little bit differently. Um, Ken Austin was was obviously a kind of a meticulous player that, uh, and, and both of those guys were were leaders on the field, uh, you know, running the show. But they they just managed the game a little bit differently from the standpoint of of uh, how things took place, just the whole the whole uh, atmosphere out there. Both extremely good competitors, and and I'm really thrilled that you know we we had a chance to not only play together with both of those guys, but to see both of them go on to win great cup championships which was pretty cool mike anderson we enjoyed watching you play those uh, 12 years in saskatchewan and uh, thanks for being our guest here and where are they now thank you very much 1989 great cup champion with your saskatchewan rough riders mike anderson wrapping up today's show with michael ball that's another where are they now wednesday edition of the sports cage in the books that is a episode year in review what episode is this episode seven in the books as well so we got two more to go one tomorrow one on friday then next week the sports cage kicks off on tuesday from 3 p.m to 6 p.m a brand new time slot cannot wait for 2023 and cannot wait to hear the voice of dante decaria coming up here in a few short seconds regina pats hockey will be on the air next as the brandon wheat kings are in town to take on your regina pats you've been listening to the sports cage for spreads.ca on 620 CKRM. Today's sports cage has come to a close. Miss a segment? Download or stream the podcast now at sportscage.ca. Get your sports straight from the source. 620 CKRM.